0: Welcome to episode 61 of Friends and Film, a podcast for the latest movie news and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again, joined by Josh Straley. On this episode, we're going to talk about a ton of trailers, Joker taking over Tron, a new cable contender, and more, all before we review Logan. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends and Film. Josh?
1: Welcome to the pod, everyone. Hey, Cooper, what's happening?
0: Uh Nothing, really. I mean, it's it's not as nice of a Saturday as it normally is, or uh, as I would like it to be. I wish it was a little warmer, but can't complain I mean it's sunny outside so.
1: absolutely now do you think emotions aren't as raw anymore and we can finally address what happened at the Oscars last week yes I think we can well I mean you hear you heard me mention it in passing because <laughs> being specific would have been you know too much would have
0: spoiled the show
1: absolutely but is it really Warren Beatty's fault the cards got mixed up no did you see the variety piece on how it all went down? Because one of the backstage hands was tweeting photos of Emma Stone that
0: night. Yes, uh, and I believe he has gotten fired since. So, uh, poor guy. Uh, I think two people lost their jobs over that mistake. Uh, it's a costly one. I mean, it, like, obviously you're happy for Moonlight t- for to rightfully win the award. But at the same time, the La, La Land guys had gotten through, like, three speeches already. And then, like you're told, and you're up on stage, like you're happy. You think you won Best Picture, and then, you know, two minutes later, you're going and saying, J- "Just kidding, we didn't win. It's Moonlight. You guys won. Here's the card." Um yeah. It's like that's that's sad for them.
1: Wh- who do you think it was more devastating to though, Moonlight, to know that they had won and some of their spotlight got got kind of time got cut in half, or La La Land for being up there and realizing, oh, we were basking in the glory of a mistake backstage.
0: I think it's more embarrassing for La for la la land but i think it hurt moonlight more because they didn't get the full acceptance speech recognition and everything and all the headlines now aren't over how moonlight won and how a predominantly black cast won how you know just everything kind of lined up where it was like this should have been a movie that was praised for winning an oscar for best picture and instead all the talk is about Oh, these guys screwed up and gave it to Lala La Land first, and it's disappointing. But it uh, made for great TV, uh, yeah, that's for that's sure. For sure. <laughs> and, uh, Jimmy Kimmel did a great job hosting, and like definitely handled it like a pro. Because I don't—if that was me, I'd been like, uh, yeah, especially uh, what? to
1: <laughs> Jordan uh, Horwitz, the yeah. um, sound director or the composer. Uh, he's, he's
0: a, uh, isn't he a producer? I thought producer composer.
1: He's on he's credited yeah. on the track too. Uh for you know, not taking any uh any crap and just yeah. making setting the setting the record straight.
0: Yeah, and he was like, I'm gonna stand here and give it to them because you know, I I wanna show them like that I'm I'm okay with this. And mm-hmm. like hopefully this will blow over. I don't think anybody will ever forget this moment. Uh, I think it it's the biggest moment of the Oscars probably ever. So uh very interesting show and A lot of uh, interesting news to talk about this week, but other than the Oscars, what else did you watch this week?
1: Well, I finally got my second watch of Doctor Strange. Okay. And I do want to you know, tip my hat to Scott Derrickson for one scene in particular at the beginning. And it's Dr. Strange and Dr. Palmer having a Aaron Sorkin like walk talk throughout <laughs> yeah. the hospital halls. And I was like, I didn't catch that the first time around. And it's very well executed. Every, there's like chaos happening. then they pass through a calm nurse station mm-hmm. and they go right back into the action. I'm like, oh, that was really plan- well planned out. But then I finally saw a Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd comedy, Spies Like Us, where they get swept up and pre- they pretend to masquerade as doctors um, and get swept up into the uh, Vietnam War. And it's just hilarious.
0: It's, I've never seen it. Oh, it's good. But I'll, I'll, I'll add it to my list. What um, about you, man? Well, after the podcast, last week, I went to the theater and checked out Get Out and uh, that movie is something else, man. Like Jordan Peele's, Jordan Peele's directorial debut. It's not a horror movie. It's a thriller, but there's also one character in particular that like brings all the laughs whenever he's on screen. And like watching that movie with a packed audience is one of the best theater experiences I've had in a long time. Cause it's just like the ending of that movie. Like the, the last 20 minutes are so intense uh, you have to go see it in theaters. I mean, see it if you whenever you can, but go see it as soon as possible in theaters. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. I also watched Doctor Strange again this week because it came out on Blu-ray. Loved it just as much uh, as it did the first time. Uh, watched a couple other movies, but also watched Tron Legacy because we have oh, Tron yeah. news to talk about later on in the show. Uh that's just it's a fun movie. Your first watch? No, i I've seen it before. Yeah, same but, here. Uh I just like it's been I thought it was like it's been a while since I've watched that movie, so thought I'd revisit it and yeah, I mean it's fun. Uh I mean it's not gonna get a direct sequel from what it sounds like, but eventually something will be happening with that franchise. Yeah.
1: The the CGI Jeff Bridges was like the first time I've ever seen a character reconstruction. Right. And for a while I'm like, wait, how did they get a young guy yep. that looks just like him? And then uh finally at the end, uh I noticed that. It wasn't Jeff Bridges. I was
0: yeah. like, "Oh, okay, I got this." Yeah, because we came out in 2010, I believe, and uh, so I would have been in my er, mid-teens. Yeah, I'm and 15. I was like, I was like, "Man, yeah, how how did they do this? Do they like film this like a long time ago, and then they like put the person in here?" And then my dad told me that was like, "No, like that's a CG character." And like watching it, like it definitely like you can like it doesn't hold up well, like that portion of it, but everything else does really well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a fun movie, and I am looking forward to see what else to do with Tron. We'll get to that later. Uh, we do have some news to start with, and we're going to start with the flyby. We'll just do quick hits on a couple of news stories, such as uh, Vera Farmiga has joined Godzilla King of Monsters, according to the tracking board, as Millie Bobby Brown's mom and Kyle Chandler's wife.
1: And if you're wondering who that is, she's in basically every horror movie. Yes, uh, specifically the conjuring's, but lots of others. Isn't and she
0: getting her like own spinoff or something I with think the nun? So. Yeah,
1: yep. uh, so we finally have a happy family,
0: or you know, well, probably won't stay that way. Yeah, <laughs> for now, yes. <laughs> One of
1: them's gonna die.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I I, I like Vera as an actress. I I haven't watched much of Bates Motel. Motel. I've seen a couple episodes. Um I think the first thing i was introduced to her on was source code uh and Oh that's I, right yeah. I, I really like her in that movie. Uh, I really love that movie overall, but so yeah, I'm I'm happy to see her join this franchise as well. Um we also have word from Variety that Vanessa Kirby, a breakout actress from The Crown, a Netflix original series, is in talks to join Mission Impossible 6 in one of the new f- lead female roles uh that is said to be in comparison in you know screen time to Rebecca Ferguson's role in the last movie. So I know you haven't seen any of the Mission Impossible movies, but I
1: have seen The Crown. Oh, okay, two episodes of The Crown. Is um, she is she good in it? And she's she's a minor character. She mm-hmm. plays Princess Mar- Margaret. Yes, and she's got a very interesting subplot about uh, being in love with somebody else. And uh, she'll do a good job. I'm confident of that. Uh, in what role? No idea.
0: Yeah, I I was kind of surprised by this because I thought if... Because Rebecca Ferguson is an attorney and she was such a breakout from Mission Impossible 5 that I figured she would have a similar high-level role in the movie. And to hear that Vanessa Kirby may be coming in and taking up most of that screen time and then Ferguson will be in in some unknown capacity, I don't love. But I'm willing to let her... Uh, see what she's got yeah so, you,
1: you'll be impressed for sure
0: uh, we also almost got we'll get to Logan and our view later on in the show but there was a cameo that almost happened in the movie in the early stages of development Hugh Jackman uh, told CinemaBlend that they were at one point considering bringing Sabretooth back uh, as with Leaf Schreiber and ultimately it didn't happen but I would have I would have loved to see Sabretooth back for one more you time would have yeah. Oh,
1: I, I did not like him at all. I mean, Wolverine Origins is a controversial move. Not controversial, it's, it's, it's just not, plain bad. It's a bad. bad movie, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I did not dig him. I liked the brotherhood part, yeah. but I felt like they could have gotten someone better.
0: I mean, he was definitely better than the original Saber 2000 X-Men. and Yes. Uh, we've already seen Ryan Reynolds reprise his role as Deadpool, do that much better. We've seen Hugh Jackman play much better Wolverine since Origins, and since this is basically the wrap-up of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, potentially the character for a long period of time, I thought it would have been nice to bring him in for a minute or two, just kind of show another older version of him as well, but obviously that didn't happen, so am not going to cry over it, but it's okay. Uh, we did get our first teaser, however, for a new Netflix original film, *Bright*, directed by David Ayer. Uh, what'd you think of it?
1: Well, first of all, i had I had interesting expectations for this going into the trailer. I had, was thinking space drama, and then when I f- first saw it, I thought, "Oh, L.A. cop drama." David Ayer will excel at this because immediately my mind ran to. The Watch. End End of of Watch. Watch. Yes. The
0: Watch is a very different movie.
1: I haven't seen it. Uh, Anyway, all of a sudden, Will Smith just pulls up this broadsword, and then there are wood elves and uh, ogres with shotguns or trolls? Orcs. I believe they're orcs. Yes. What is happening here? I didn't even read the background about it, but this looks very interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's written by Max Landis. That probably explains some of the strangeness of it. Yep. That explains Um, it. But, yeah, I mean, it's basically a fantasy movie set in a not so distant future, from what I remember, um, where basically there's, you know, elves and orcs and all these other fantasy creatures and stuff living within the real world. And I like this city that uh, Will Smith's character is a cop for and Joel Edgerton's character, who's an orc, they're. Uh, partners in the crime game and uh they're like their city is kind of like the rundown portion of the world where the fantasy characters are in living within the same confines of human characters so oh i think it look. i mean it looks super interesting i wasn't expecting a teaser to drop this early because it comes out in december um
1: almost like a projects fantasy world where they've evolved to the 21st century. Right. That could be very interesting. Yeah.
0: And I feel like they'll have some pretty interesting lore in there. I mean, we see Will Smith holding like what looks to be like Excalibur almost. Um numira Pace is also in here as I think she's one of uh the elves and or I think that's what she is. I mean, we see her in the trailer, but I'm not sure if she's an elf or not. I think she is, but uh I mean, given the people that they have lined up to appear in this and everybody attached in front of and behind the camera, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I think it should be one of Netflix's big hits on you know in terms of original movie uh, content.
1: Yeah, it's always fun to see a different idea, especially in this world of remixes, reboots, etc. Yeah.
0: Uh, and interesting enough, even though Kong Skull Island comes out next week, We got a new trailer then our final trailer obviously for the movie Uh, and I think it's their best one yet actually. Uh, It's just like super fun. The editing I thought was flawless. The way they intermix the music and like they're saying like we gotta get out of this place like like you see Kong and like they do like cutaways and they have like everybody like loading their guns and stuff and it just like mixes in with the music really well. and there's a lot of like interesting callbacks to Peter Jackson's King Kong, with you know obviously the relationship between Kong and it looks like it's going to be Brie Larson's character this time around, and you know they kind of reenact the Kong versus uh, T Rex fight a little bit. And uh, I'm interested to see this movie. I it's I'm super looking forward to seeing it next week, and this trailer only further made me excited. Uh, seeing it, you know, at home on computer, but then also played in front of Logan, and I was like. Just give me this move right now.
1: Yeah, it, they really punched it to ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed in the the action, the use of King Kong that we have been kind of it's, it's been lacking in all of those trailers. We mm-hmm. see him fighting the skull crawlers, uh, jumping in the water, like you know, like and then you know, just destroying helicopter after helicopter to the point you're thinking how are any of these guys going to survive that right. first encounter? Um, but it's really distancing, distancing itself from the original Godzilla, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in this monster universe, characters are much more vibrant. John C. Riley is leading the, the comedy and, yeah. you know, all of that. So uh, I am very intrigued about this new path. And like you said, there's callbacks to Peter Jackson's movie. Um or, you know, the originals, mm-hmm. I should say. And th- I like that, but I also like this entirely new direction that, that they're finally taking Kong instead of just remaking the same movie right over and over and over again. Yeah. So I like I like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, as long as we don't have to wait another hour and like 20 minutes or whatever to see Kong for the first time, we could end in Peter Jackson's movie, which I definitely don't think is going to be the case. Uh, I think I'll be very happy with this movie. Come next week and you'll hear of you next week as well so tune in for that um, a movie you're going to have to wait a little while on to hear of you is Alien Covenant we got another trailer this week and uh, what did you think of it?
1: Well this followed the prologue. Did we talk about the prologue?
0: We did not talk about the prologue. Yeah, I didn't watch they, the prologue
1: They dropped a five minute prologue at least that's what he titled uh, really Scott titled mm-hmm. it and it was the crew of the covenant talking about their mission and kind of humanizing them. We get our first look at Franco, but this took elements of that and showed us basically the rest of the movie. Um, We see Catherine Watterson's character, James Franco, pops up once in one Mm -hmm. cut scene. Danny McBride, Bill Crudupick, Michael Fassbender sort of exploring this planet further uh, this time around, but the xenomorph, the star of the trailer, is everywhere, and Mm -hmm. I think it's the best one that they've put together in any of the alien movies or prometheus uh, it is truly terrifying uh and i hadn't felt that way since that first alien movie yeah so i'm super excited
0: yeah i mean it definitely looks intense once again i didn't watch the the red band trailer for this uh they'd released one of those as well but i didn't i didn't get a chance to watch just that just blood that's yeah. all which is what I expected, um, but it's like a, it just looks like a couple's retreat gone bad because they're like, oh, we're you know going to spread the human, you know, race all over the all over the universe, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, oh, look, they have wheat. What's what are the odds? And then it's like, wait, how come there's no life on this planet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why, because <laughs> we have neomorphs and xenomorphs roaming around, and uh, they're probably going to kill pretty much everybody involved. Um, I'm really interested to see how the engineers play into all of this. I don't know if they'll actually appear on this world that they are on for most of this trailer or if, you know, David and um, Elizabeth Shaw from Prometheus will show up later on in the movie and maybe engineers should be following them and they'll link up that way or how that all played together. But uh, it looks like really Scott's going back to kind of his more his roots with Alien. Uh, I... I I really like Prometheus. I know not everybody does. It's a very divisive movie, but I really like it. So I'm really interested to see what he's going to do with Alien Covenant. And he it looks like he's definitely going to make it more scary, more violent. Uh, and I think that that's all good stuff.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I, I worry a little bit though about some of the grand action scenes that we saw with like the the Covenant ship right. swinging around in you know in the atmosphere with the xenomorph all over. It was like. I hope they etch more towards the horror side of things. Yeah. But I think Ridley Scott's finally got what was missing from Prometheus in this mm-hmm. movie and I can't wait.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I had the same thought cause like when Catherine Weyerson's like swinging around, firing a machine gun and I'm like, this is an alien movie. Yeah, a little too much. But I, I think that's probably early on in the film. Like once the xenomorphs originally attack and stuff and then from there on out it becomes more much like Alien and Aliens where it's smaller, more personal and, and it's probably Catherine Watterson and a couple other people trying to fend off uh, the aliens until help arrives or they just die. So, uh, who yeah. knows? I
1: mean, if this ties right into Aliens, we, we seem to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't expect much of them to get out but really Scott does want to have another movie after this, they come before Aliens, so you never know what they'd want to do character-wise. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we also got a new trailer for Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man Tell No Tales.
1: And you were loving it?
0: I kind of liked it. What, Really? Yeah, I was really surprised. I didn't, I not liked the previous marketing. Um It did annoy me because they said, you know, the final adventure begins with this movie And there's no way That this is the final movie So you're Oh yeah Mismarketing the movie from the get go So you're you're trying to get all that nostalgia In and go This is your last chance To see Jack Sparrow on the big screen It's not That's obviously not going to be the case So that makes me a little frustrated but I liked the beginning of the trailer. You start off, we get to learn more about um, Javier Bardem's character, uh, Salazar, yeah, I believe. Salazar. Uh Salazar. His backstory, that like he has this long-running relationship with Jack Sparrow. Uh, and even though it made me more unhappy that you get to see just regular Javier Bardem, and we'll see that probably at the beginning of the movie, and then at some point he just becomes a CGI face. And I'm like, well, I wish we could just have regular Javier Bardem, but oh, yeah, so that's true. obviously not going to change. So, I'm not going to complain about it, but there were a lot of moments where I was like, this looks a lot like the first movie, and I really like the first movie, so if that is the case, then that could be great, but I don't also want them to just be retreading water and telling the same story, but replacing Orlando Bloom with Orlando Bloom's son, and replacing. uh Keira Knightley with this other new girl because yeah. like they're like of like they're like running through the village they're saving her from being you know kidnapped and everything like this just looks like I've seen this before you totally. so hopefully they can change that dynamic up a little bit so that's not the case and it's not Will Turner's son and Jack Sparrow and not Will Turner and Jack Sparrow but we'll have to wait and see. Did
1: it bother you at all have, that the whole movie or that whole trailer I should say not whole movie felt like just a CGI pirates transformers movie? Because that was the feeling I got from it. As soon as I saw young Jack Sparrow at the helm of what looked like the Black Pearl, mm-hmm. all I could think about was that, and how the rest of the movie just lacked a ground, like a grounding, or the trailer lacked a grounding.
0: Well, I don't think it's actually like a young Johnny Depp. Like they hired a different person. To no, play that was it. definitely a CGI character. I don't. I, I don't think so. Ooh. I thought I, I thought I saw something on Twitter where like they had an actual actor play that role. But maybe they use some CG to make him look different. Yes. But uh or at least slightly different. But uh, no, that didn't bother me. I I mean it does look super CGI heavy. I mean there's ghost sharks now like Who oh, do
1: look awesome. They
0: do look cool, but I'm like, what what is the purpose of these <laughs> outside of just like you're trying to make some new thing that's gonna be like, oh look, we have ghost sharks in the fifth movie they don't actually mean anything. So I think there's still a lot to explain. Uh, We still don't really know how Orlando Bloom and Will Turner are involved in this or much about the rest of the plot outside of this is a movie where Will Turner's son. So I mean, he's not confirmed to be Will Turner's son, but that's who he is where that guy is kidnapped. Jack Sparrow's being hunted by Javier Bardem. And then somehow Johnny Depp, that kid and that girl all get tangled up in this adventure.
1: Yeah, I need one more trailer to basically show me that this movie isn't just a desperate Disney Johnny Depp cash grab. It seems like it has some cool elements, mm-hmm. but I am I remain unconvinced, yeah. despite previous excitement.
0: Okay, so interesting. So this one kind of sold me a little bit, and for you, it turned you almost against it.
1: Yeah, just a little okay. bit.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm still not like This is my most anticipated movie the rest of the year, but (laughs) it made me going from I don't really want to see this movie to this could maybe work. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to wait and see. A movie that I'm definitely on board for is Guardians of Galaxy Volume Two, and two months out we got our final trailer for the movie, and I mean it's just it's just great. It doesn't show much, um, which I love because we are two months away, and I don't really know anything about the plot of the movie outside of it's about family and. How that connects, they haven't really officially confirmed. I think there's theories out there that I specifically have, many other people do. Uh, we can kind of connect the dots, but uh, I like that you get to see more of Gamora and Star Lord's relationship throughout the trailer. There's a lot more of Baby Groot, and he's just adorable, whether he's waving hands in battle he's plugging in the music uh, <laughs> yes. so that the music can just be audibly heard for them as they're fighting and for the audience. I think it's just a, a nice touch. Um, And we finally got to see Kurt Russell as Ego, not necessarily as the planet, but as his in his humanoid form. I still think he's the real villain of the film, but that may be saved for our preview episode or something else where we get into more, you know, speculation points. But as a trailer, I really liked it and I can't wait to see this movie.
1: Yeah, same here. I mean, Kurt, you mentioned Kurt Russell. I was so happy to see him and I loved I loved the prep, the presentation. I'm your dad. And then cut. So that was good, uh, and then yeah, like you said, family, and we're finally seeing how the the guardians kind of resemble a family. Mm-hmm. So now you have uh, Star Lord and Gamora as like the parents, Rocket as the uncle, and then you know Groot is finally the baby. Yeah, and I can't wait to see how that plays out, especially like when he's waving in the middle of the mm-hmm. battle. It's kind, of, kind of like, Hey, look at me, mom yeah. type of a deal. Mom, pay attention. Right. <laughs> or like... uh star Lord telling him, dude, put your seatbelt. on. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to get hairy. Uh, so that was all really kind of fun to see. But then we had Nebula show up for the first time. I believe uh, we've seen
0: glimpses of her. We haven't yeah. really seen much of her. So and far. it
1: looks like she's going to be jumping on board <laughs> after maybe, you know, working out some of her, Issues with Gamora and the rest of the crew, so that looks really interesting. And for a trailer of all new footage, I don't think there was like anything that was really recycled. Yeah, I think there's a trailers. couple
0: like smaller stuff, but it's largely new. Yes,
1: yeah, and uh, we didn't get much at all. We know that Alicia's group is known to be jerks, but that's about all, mm-hmm. so it's all kept under wraps but it looks just as fun and entertaining as the first.
0: Yeah. So uh, two months out, uh, I can't wait to learn more about this movie or well, I actually, I don't want to learn more. I just want to go into the movie knowing what I know right now, let my speculation do the rest of the work for me. Uh, but we don't speculate anymore about the Bumblebee spinoff movie. As it officially has a director. Thanks to deadline, it was revealed that Kubo and the two strings director Travis Knight has agreed to direct the Bumblebee spinoff movie for Paramount Later, after this report came out, the Hollywood Reporters Boris Kitt revealed that the other names in contention that Knight ultimately beat were Wam Colette Sarah, a frequent uh, Liam Neeson collaborator on, like the sh- and he obviously did The Shallows as well. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa was in contention, uh, known for Dope. Seth Gordon, who is doing Baywatch this summer, and The Knee Brothers were also all considered and ultimately went to Knight. Are you happy with this choice?
1: I've only seen one Knight movie. He's only made one night
0: movie. I'm sorry. He's only made one movie.
1: Didn't he do box trolls and?
0: That's his studio. He he's like the, I think he's a studio head at Leica or Leica. Lechia. Lechia. Sure. One of those. Like I think it's Leica. Yeah. Okay. But uh, he I think he, because he's the son of the Nike owner, so he I think he owns Leica Studios. And, but he only actually directed Kubo oh, on the two strings. Travis
1: Knight and Phil Knight. Yeah. Cool. Well, okay. I've only seen Paranorman. Okay. So, in that realm, I don't know about his credentials for Kubo, but people seem to think it was really great. I know critical reviews were really high on it. Uh, but I'm. I, while I can't speak to that, I can speculate wildly and irresponsibly about <laughs> the range of directors here, from FAMUA in Dope to Seth Gordon, who does almost exclusively comedy. Baywatch, Horrible Bosses, uh, Identity Thief with Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman. Uh, so what, what could they have been thinking? Like They were definitely testing the waters for you know any way to take this Bumblebee movie.
0: Yeah, I think that, that was the thing that stood out to me the most after seeing this list. I was just like, this tells me they're not like dead set on one specific vision for the film saying, all right, we want the next Michael Bay to take over and make a Bumblebee movie that's going to be super CGI action and just lots of explosions, slow-mo, and no characters. And instead, they like, Travis and I, like Kubo and Two Strings, great anime movie. Um, it it, it would have been my third favorite anime movie of last year. Um, because Zootopia, and Moana, I, sure. think, I think are better, but I mean that's I think it's it's a, it's a tough bar to, to to break through. Um, but I do I like you. I think that it's a nice addition to the Transformers lore that instead of Michael Bay, you get somebody like Travis Knight, who's an anime director. Obviously, like we talked about last week, that comes with concerns over the jump. Can he make the jump to mega? You know, blockbuster level budgets and CGI heavy stuff. I hope so. Um, but I mean, the list that like the other lists involved, like Juan Sarah, Sara. I really liked The Shallows, uh, Unknown, Nonstop are both fun action movies. So I think he would have been a nice choice as well. Rick Famuyiwa is dope. I love Dope. Uh, I was really excited to see his version of The Flash. So to see him maybe get a Transformers movie, I think would have been really cool. Uh, yeah, like Seth Gordon comedy guy like i just really like that they took so many different basically pitches for the movie we're like we like travis knight's version the best and i think that that's a that's a nice sign for the transformers universe regardless of how transformers 5 is going to be it could be crap just like the last couple have been or it could be good but even if it's not transformers 6 can then kind of follow in the footsteps of bumblebee they can get a new director maybe one of these other guys and give us something completely different moving forward.
1: I will always be less harsh on a movie if it tries to do something different Mm -hmm. or unique instead of succeeding half-heartedly on the same formula. And seeing that they did uh, basically a a wide-ranging hunt for a director spanning so many genres here, uh, that is super encouraging Mm -hmm. that this Bumblebee movie may not... Be rigid, or as rigid as you'd come to expect from a Transformers movie.
0: Right. So, obviously, Transformers Five will be a lot. we you know, do a lot of that heavy work of probably setting up a Bumblebee movie, or you'd hope so. So, we'll have to wait and see exactly how this movie's going to play out. Hopefully, he can actually talk in the movie and not just use his radio and stuff, because that'd be pretty annoying for a full feature-length movie. But Travis Knight's a director with Kubo. Movie has a lot of heart. I. Uh, it just has a. It's it's a family movie. It's about family and the desire to have a family and everything. So, I think that could that could translate well to Bumblebee, surprisingly enough. Um, and we'll move on to Tron. We talked about it a little, we teased it a little bit at the top of the show, but the Hollywood Reporter revealed this week that Disney is currently looking to reboot Tron with Jared Leto in the lead role. He would reportedly play Ares, a character that was set to appear in the third film. Of the previous franchise of Tron and Tron Legacy, that uh, was going to be titled Tron Ascension, and there's not really any mention of how this character would have factored into the last movie. But it looks like they're going to try to keep some aspects or use some aspects of that proposed third film and uh, make this reboot. So, do you want to see a reboot of Tron with Jared Leto?
1: Well. That's a good question because I don't know if you're asking me if I want to see a sequel to the original two Tron's original the Tron and Tron Legacy Mm -hmm. or them start the whole thing over with Jared Leto as Ares in something different than Tron.
0: Would you want to see a uh, new like would you want to see a third Tron movie?
1: Yes, I would I'd be all about that because it's a, it's
0: a super awesome world, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yes, it is. So, do you want to see a reboot of Tron?
1: Definitely not a reboot of Tron. Okay. I don't think you can. I don't think you can touch the original and how groundbreaking it was for what was it, eighty two? I think so, yeah. eighty two, eighty four. The early eighties. Even though it looks like an awful computer game, uh, Jeff Bridges is that's an iconic role for the guy, and to to mess with that to reboot it I think would be would be awful so if but you know moving forward with like cycle battles and you know disc wars and all that uh, I would be all about that especially with today's tech uh, I think that would make for some incredible visuals yeah
0: I don't know if they would necessarily do a complete reboot because I don't know how you necessarily I don't know why you would want to retell everything you've already set up in the first two movies where instead I think you can go and because there is still like in this report from the hot reporter they they said that they're still working off of the script for the third one. They're kind of using that as an influence for the reboot. So I think this reboot isn't is a reboot kind of like how The Force Awakens was a reboot kind of where it it rebooted the Star Wars universe oh, yeah. while, while keeping everything that came before. I a feel kick-start. like start. Yeah, I feel like it will kind of be like that where they'll use everything that's come before, but they won't make it won't be like the force awakens where it's a heavy mention. It'll just be like, they're going to kind of play with audiences where, where you expect that you've seen these movies. And if not, it'll be okay. But if you have, you'll understand more of this. And that, I mean, Aries is not a a typical person name for any normal human. No, he's obviously a program. Yeah. So how that plays in, is it going to be a a movie that is centrally focused within the program and has nothing to do with outside world? Um, that's maybe set 20 years after legacy and then they f- see their uh, they further see how the world has changed who knows um but i'm interested to see a Tr- another tron movie if that's coming a reboot form sure Jared Leto's an interesting choice um but he all, he's also doing blade runner 2049 so maybe he'll blow me away and that is a replicant probably so we'll have to wait and see but for now i'm intrigued
1: same here i forgot he was in blade runner we still haven't seen eagerly waiting a plane runner trailer by the way
0: we've we've seen one i mean it's a teaser yeah
1: but i'm ready to see some 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 yeah, meat because i mean story.
0: we still haven't seen like robin wright dave batista uh jared leto like there's a lot there's a lot of people in this movie that we haven't seen yet
1: and harrison ford is just is not doing anything to keep people uh f- make people feel secure about his health
0: <laughs> yeah he needs to stop flying his, planes yeah
1: <laughs> that would be a good start
0: um Speaking of Harrison Ford in his most iconic role of Han Solo, we may have a villain for the young Han Solo movie with Variety reporting that Michael K. Williams is in final talks to join the cast in a key role. They have since followed up that initial report by saying that there's they've heard from a couple of sources that it is possibly going to be the villain, but that is unconfirmed as of this point. So do you like the, the addition of Michael K. Williams, and would you like to see him as a villain? And... Since you are a mega Star Wars fan and the expanded universe and everything, do you have any theories on who he could be playing?
1: Ooh. I have no immediate theories on okay. who he could be playing. And I initially, I would say I'm all about Michael K. Williams, you know, playing the villain. But I've already got it in my head that Thandie Newton is this, in, in like, incredible Imperial captain hunting down Han Solo in the outer rim or mm-hmm. wherever he may be. And that idea bump up against Michael K. Williams joining on board and playing a villain uh, is creating some serious conflict in my head, but he is a fantastic actor and I have no doubt that whatever he does on this will be fantastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, th- I still think Fandy could also be the villain. I want to be surprised if there are maybe a family, Bounty hunter group or something. Ooh, I think that could be interesting. Uh, well, obviously, I have no idea, but Mike Williams, yes, uh, it's another great addition to the cast. It seems like they. This, I would assume, this is the last big one they get since filming is already underway and everything. Um, it would seem a little late in the game. If a couple weeks from now, we hear news that another person has joined the cast, unless it's a relatively unknown person joining in a relatively small role that could always happen, but I think this is probably our last big casting announcement, and uh, it rounds out the cast really nicely, and if he is the villain, as suspected, I think that's a great choice, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what he will do to that, and what character he'll be playing, whether they do a Saw Gerrera type thing, where they bring in somebody from pre-established canon, and bring them to life on the big screen, or if they use somebody like Thrawn, or obviously not going to do Thrawn, but a character like Thrawn from the Expanded Universe and bring them in and make them official Star Wars canon moving forward. Ooh. Or if it's just a brand new character.
1: do you? What do you think of the idea of Michael K. Williams doing some CG work, motion capture, and being a younger Admiral Thrawn? Uh,
0: it's possible. Um, I would say if they're going to do CG, though, and it's just going to be motion capture, then I would use the same guy who's voicing him on Rebels to do the voice then for the movie just so that's another added layer of continuity. I think it's it's Mads it's Lads Mickelson or Lars Mickelson. It's Mads Mickelson's brother oh. does the voice on Rebels. So I think if you're gonna bring Thrawn in, that would be kind of a surprise. It'd um, be a
1: waste of Michael K. Williams acting talent to yeah. uh, motion capture. Yeah,
0: I think I mean there's no, nothing against motion capture but yeah I would rather see him in a in a prominent Same role.
1: Same Han Solo doesn't have many villains that yeah. are exclusive to him other than like his his cousin Thraken. So um it's he could be anybody for that.
0: Yeah. Uh we also got a small Well, not a small a, yeah it's kind of a small update on Star Wars the Last Jedi from making Star Wars about kind of the state of the galaxy going into the 8th movie. Basically, the highlights of the report are that the resist, or that the uh, the First Order is no longer a secret. The there are planets in the galaxy that expect a war to break out, and they're planning to either let themselves be taken over by the First Order or are lining themselves up with the Resistance to fight back. Um, the Republic has completely collapsed because the Hosnian system has been destroyed in Episode Seven, and that our got uh. Leia is pushing for them to fight for the resistance to fight back. But there's other members that are saying, maybe we'll just wait and see how it all plays out. There's also some stuff about like Snoke is no longer secret. He's no longer, he's being taken seriously within the larger universe. So uh, I think that's all interesting stuff. What did you think about all this? Yeah,
1: Well, that was really important to actually have out there uh, because one thing that people did rib episode seven, for. Uh, for everything it had done well, they said, oh, but I don't understand what's happening outside of this Mm -hmm. because they make a concerted effort not to talk about strategic alliances and the the politics of Star Wars, especially since three movies, the last three movies had been uh, very, almost too political. And it was all about alliances and strategy. So finally hearing how things are Aligning uh, gives us a look at what the effects of destroying the Hosnian system were, the Starkiller base being blown up, and maybe gives us a little bit of details that General Organa is going to have to be playing a little bit of. Uh, please help us. Mm-hmm. And I, fingers crossed, I'm hoping the Hapen system is involved in this movie because they are so BA. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm glad that this has finally been uh, laid out for me
0: yeah i think this is i don't think, i don't consider this stuff spoiler or anything uh hopefully you guys don't either but i think it's just nice i mean it's not even really that surprising honestly i, I just like the fact that it's kind of laid out what kind of the groundwork is of the galaxy whatever time has elapsed between episode 7 episode 8 it's probably not gonna be much but this just kind of gives you a feel gives me the feel of okay well this is how this is where each group is at heading into episode eight. So that way I know I can kind of use that moving forward to understand the marketing and stuff and go, all right, well, if they're having this debate, that's obviously because Snoke is planning something over here or, you know, all this different stuff. So I think it's just, it's just useful information at this point. Uh, and probably stuff that's just trying to hold us over until uh, that trailer drops. Oh, yeah, we're in the next so couple months. close. Yes. Uh, we are potentially close also to Gotham City Sirens. Don't know when it's going to hit theaters, but possibly next year, possibly 2019. And director David Ayer teased fans this week on Twitter uh, about the possible villain by tweeting out a picture of Black Mask. So do you think that this could be our villain or do you think he's just uh, trolling?
1: I don't think... David Ayer doesn't strike me as a guy that trolls people. Just look at him and you think, you know what that guy probably does hate? Memes. (laughs) But anyway, the black mask photo, who who is a very terrifying villain, says maybe he's thinking about it. And he's probably one of the more grounded Batman villains, aside from Joker, Mm -hmm. that, you know, comes up in Gotham. I think he would be a perfect fit for uh, Gotham Sirens movie. Because, I mean, Harley Quinn doesn't have any fantastical abilities other than hitting things till they break or... Following in Joker's kind of demented or elaborate plot setups or scheme setups, mm-hmm. uh, and then whoever else the you know the, that are a part of the sirens would probably fit really well inside of an organized crime type movie. Don't yeah,
0: you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think I think this is pretty much confirmation that Black Mask is going to be the villain because, like, immediately after his involvement was with uh, Gotham City Science was announced, he sent out a picture of Harley Quinn. Catwoman and Poison Ivy which is pretty much I think confirmed that Poison Ivy and Catwoman are going to be the two other members of Gotham City Sirens Um, so and yeah like Black Mask is just a crime lord basically that wears a mask made of wood from the coffin of his mother like pretty tragic stuff Mm -hmm. and if it's just him and his gang going up against Harley Quinn or not going up against them but they're they're doing something that harley quinn's like well i probably shouldn't let him do that or joker doesn't he's trying to take over the joker's territory and i'm gonna i'm gonna fight yeah. back against him and stuff i think it makes a lot of sense and yeah like he's not a he does he doesn't have super strength or the ability to transform into some giant monster and stuff so it'll keep the movie small we'll avoid enchantress stuff like suicide squad and we'll, we should be able to just keep it, keep it small, keep it controlled, and then you can have like Poison Ivy just use her abilities to take down multiple goons at one time, while Catwoman or Harley Quinn are just doing, you know, fist fights with the rest of them. So
1: yeah, and you mentioned that little bit of his backstory there. I didn't know that, and that just seems like something David Ayer could tackle mm-hmm. really well. So it, it fits, like we talked about, Bright. It fits with you know his body of work mm-hmm. to be able to do some kind of crime oriented drama yeah. it doesn't need to explain why there's a mystical being you know causing trouble in the mm-hmm. center of gotham city exactly or, or central city or star city or wherever
0: that place yeah. is yeah so uh and it also like it doesn't use up like one of the main crime bosses or something that he would maybe want to use in a batman movie or something so i think you basically get the crime movie that he probably wants you use a lesser known villain and you accomplish the same goals anyways um, maybe one of the villains he's, maybe one of the reasons he's not using one of those main, you know, crime villains like the Falcone family, I think is the other like one of the main Batman yep. uh crime lords and stuff. Maybe one of the reasons he's not using them, or like the penguin or something, is because Matt Reeves has plans for them and reportedly, according to Sla or Splash report, uh Matt Reeves only came back to the Batman and agreed to direct it once WB handed him full creative control and final say about all things Batman. So, it, according to this report, it's not confirmed, this is just a rumor. Matt Reeves can basically do whatever he wants with Batman. He can, you know, ignore WB it seems like. So, does this sound like a good thing about Batman or a bad thing?
1: I think it's more good than it is bad because especially coming from where I'm at with this whole thing and it is Warner Brothers is a plague that needs to be, you know, dealt with on by directors. However, full creative control is almost too good. So I would imagine maybe he's got full control over a lot of things. But executives, I'm sure, reserve the right to say, are you sure? Or maybe think that over again. Or, okay, but we're going to cut $10 million off your budget. Something like, you know, there's some things that I think they're keeping a hold of. But talks broke down, so Matt Reeves can had to have gotten something to come back on board, mm-hmm. don't you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, outside of this report, there's reports that the reason he walked away initially is because WB lowballed him with money. Uh, he wanted a, a much larger, you know, paycheck for himself after doing Apes and then taking over for Affleck on this as well. So that could be the reason, not necessarily this. But if I'm going off of this report, I'm. I've mixed emotions because I do like the idea of Matt Reeves going to make his version of the Batman because that's I'll, that's what I'm interested in at this point. I'm not interested in seeing what WB thinks the perfect Batman movie is because they haven't proven me that they know how to handle Batman outside of Christopher Nolan's movies. And in Christopher Nolan's movies, those are Christopher Nolan's movies. Those weren't WB movies. They weren't giving him notes or not many notes. And if they were, he's probably ignoring most of them. He was able to do what he wanted, and he made a great Batman trilogy. And if they want the same result with Matt Reeves, it wouldn't surprise me if they gave him that same free reign. But ultimately, this is a movie that exists within a larger universe. So if he's going, all right, well, this movie, I'm going to have Batman do this, and then you know, or he gets his leg cut off at the end of the movie, and they don't—he, WB <laughs> doesn't know about it, and then they're filming the next movie with Batman already and they don't know that that he loses his leg and you know the, they're editing that second movie and they're like wait then the Batman comes out and they're like wait he lost a leg? Well yeah. crap, now we have to explain Yeah, <laughs> now we have to either figure out a way to bring him his leg back or see or reshoot all that stuff and CGI his leg off or something. Yeah. So um as lo- as long as there aren't major con- conflicting ideas existing between Reeves and WB, I think if this is true, it should be okay. But ultimately this is WB's universe. Mm -hmm. They have say over it. Even if they say now you have final say you can do whatever you want. If the reaction to justice league is great and they want Batman to go in X direction and you know, they start making this movie and then ultimately they, they start seeing dailies or they see a rough edit and they're like, wait, but you're not incorporating the justice league members and like, people love Flash's relationship with Batman and Justice League. We want to see... Like, we need Bat, we need Bat and Flashman. Bat
1: and Flashman. <laughs> yeah, <There you> go. <laughs>
0: Batman and Flash to work together in this movie or sure. at least work a cameo and he's like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, will he walk then? Like, I think there's room for possible complications to ensue.
1: Yeah, I, I, saying he has full creative control is probably a lie because him and Jeff Johns have to be working in mm-hmm. tandem. So I think maybe it was you have unfettered access to this guy and maybe he's even in the writer's room now for yeah. some of Justice League. To Zack Snyder's horror, I'd be surprised. Uh, so that's that's where I'm at with it. And that's something that blows me away is how did Christopher Nolan get full creative control over Batman and then release movies every for six years and then four years. Mm-hmm. And that was
0: incredible. Because he's Christopher Nolan. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, I mean, who knows what whether this is true or not. We'll have to wait and see. We also may have to wait to see who exactly is going to be playing Cable and according to the rap, there's a new contender who is tested for the role and that is Stranger Things star David K. Harbour. Ooh. Do you like this edition? If it, if it if it turned out to be true. He's he's only testing, so this is not confirmed. There's always a possibility that they choose somebody else, like maybe like Russell Crowe, because there's rumors of that this week. That would have been awesome. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce was Brosnan. Out there. Um so if this these testings go well and you know he meets with Brian Reynolds and everything goes well and they hire Harbor to play cable, would you be on board?
1: If you would have asked me that back in January of last year but we wouldn't have even known about next day Deadpool. So probably not relevant. I only knowed Arbor from Aaron Sorkin's newsroom and he plays a pretty lazy role, kind of incompetent, but him playing the grizzled veteran cop in stranger things totally changed my perception of how that guy can act. And I would be all about him playing uh, cable. I don't think as much as I would like to see Pierce Brosnan, but Arbor kind of fits that, He's in his what forties, probably late thirties, so so he fits in with Ryan Reynolds age-wise. He can do two or three more movies as Cable, so it almost seems to make a lot of sense uh, to go his route more than it does Russell Crowe, who could get bored with the role, Mm -hmm. or Pierce Brosnan, who could just you know say, ah, screw it, I'm done.
0: Right. Yeah. I think I think this would make a lot of sense. Uh, He's obviously a hot name coming off of Stranger Things. And if Deadpool two comes out say March of next year and that's five months after Stranger Things season two drops and people are still like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe how good, you know, the cop was again in Stranger Things. Then like, Oh, well I can see him in Deadpool two. That's awesome. Um, so I think that'd make a lot of sense, especially because like you said, with those other names, he's coming in at a much lower price point, most likely. So that obviously will save the money, the film on budgets, uh, He's not going to overshadow Ryan Reynolds as a star. He is, again, young, so he'll be able to carry, you know, Cable moving forward, bring him in and be a leading man on X Force potentially. But I am surprised that they're not getting, potentially getting, you know, an A list star for this role because if you do want Cable to be the next, you know, main lead of his own section of movies and stuff you need a guy who's going to sell tickets and a guy like Russell Crowe does that uh, Pierce Brosnan would do that. I think Steven Lang to a lesser degree would do that. And I think those guys have the, in my mind, they just like, they seem like cable, even somebody like Sylvester, uh, not Sylv- yeah. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. There I think you go. He, like he would, he would kill it as cable. Oh yeah. He's so but, that's I, that's not gonna happen, I don't think. So uh it's it's just surprising because I thought they would, would get a big name so that you could say, You liked this movie when it was just Ryan Reynolds. Well now we have Ryan Reynolds and fill in the blank with big name star. And while well, I think Harbor's stock is definitely rising, he's not at that level yet where, you know, he's gonna people are gonna rush out to a theater because David Harbor stars in this movie. Oh, sure. And I mean, I don't know if he—he he obviously has to bulk up for this role. Uh, I haven't seen him as like a shredded guy, but I mean, cables like a or sleeveless like he is like huge muscles. Like you gotta you gotta beef up somehow, I guess. So I think there are some concerns, but there's also some pros to it either way. Yeah,
1: I don't know his acting range, so that's something that I have to you know say state specifically. He plays a little bit of a funny guy in the newsroom and. Um, stranger Things. he's obviously much more dramatic so if he could hybrid those two and you know do what chris pratt did for guardians of the galaxy um he could easily though Mm -hmm. make the move into being an action star yeah Uh, and working well with ryan reynolds i'm sure is probably one of the biggest factors Mm -hmm. going into casting because if you can't There's no chemistry there. There's no way to, you know, easily riff off of each other when shooting that movie. It could really suffer because we haven't seen Deadpool with his own band of people. Um, and With Ryan Reynolds sort of taking over the spotlight regardless, I think you need someone that's not going to want to fight for the spotlight Mm -hmm. as much as sort of, you know, just get cast and some kind of stay around the edges, but be impressive by himself.
0: Yeah, what would you think of Nathan Fillion as Cable? Ooh, kind of the ultimate fan. He want every every fan wants him in every single role. That's true. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because before Logan plays in theaters, uh, and you can see it now online, there is a Deadpool 2 teaser basically yes, where there is. Deadpool sees somebody about to get robbed. He goes into and then like he goes into a phone booth, starts changing, ultimately takes way too long because he can't get his costume on <laughs> guy dies he's like oh I'm, I'm not a good superhero basically he should have been logan <laughs> um and in the background of one of in the background of a couple of the shots there are firefly posters of nathan fillion and then on the phone booth it says uh nathan summers is coming 2018 i think uh, i don't know if it says 2018 or not but it says nathan fillion, or not nathan fillion nathan summers is coming so there's some interesting hints towards cable. I don't know if that necessarily means anything. I think Fillion could do a good job in the role if that is ultimately the way they went. But what'd you think before we get to our view of Logan? What'd you think of this little Deadpool two teaser? Oh, well, I thought
1: it was fantastic because you know we pick up. It's it comes in right before the 20th Century Fox logo and Logan kicks off. Mm-hmm. So you think you're seeing the movie. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, Ryan Reynolds turns around, drops the hood, and you're like. Deadpool. Oh, this is awesome. And he sees the crime taking place and you know like he said it takes forever. And I thought it was a cute way to remind us, hey, even though you're about to watch this devastatingly emotional movie, here's here's, a, here's a one little lighthearted yeah. joke uh before we get going. And I thought it was hilarious. Uh uh there's the all the obvious jokes and like again, Superman about how he takes, how he changes so fast mm-hmm. and how unrealistic it kind of yeah. is <laughs> and that that, and then Ryan Reynolds was saying, Oh, why is there a phone booth in the middle of yeah. New York city right now? We got rid of those like forever ago. And I thought that was hilarious. Um, but they finally put this out online just before we started taping mm-hmm. today. And I got to read the the credits oh, yeah, yeah. scroll right by. And what that really is, is some kid's book report of the old man in the yeah. sea. And I read through it and it's just a, it's a comic take on how dumb the book is or how this kid think, or whoever wrote it thinks the book is. And I laughed at that at work for like, you know, two and a half minutes because yeah. it was just so funny. Uh, but I loved it. Did, were you about this? Oh yeah.
0: I think it definitely, cause initially this report came like the report came out a couple months ago that, there was going to be a Deadpool two post credit scene, or that he was going to make an appearance somehow in Logan, and this was this was what they were shooting. So that report necessarily wasn't technically wrong completely. It was wrong that it was a post credit scene, that Logan or that Deadpool was going to be in the actual movie. Instead, mm-hmm. he was in what they're calling the bumper scene because uh, it comes right before the movie. Uh, and I, I think it definitely worked. I think it would work. It worked a lot better at the beginning because if you if you wait through all the credits. Of Logan, and then you show that. I think it doesn't work as well. No, it wouldn't. Because be. it's not. It doesn't fit the tone of Logan. And instead, you kind of it. Logan starts on a on a lighter note almost, so it, it works better to go from Deadpool funniness to Logan action. Um, so I think it worked well on that. And yeah, I think it just kind. It just reminds people that you know we're gonna see another Deadpool movie. Not soon enough, as the teaser points out. So, uh, I I loved it. It was yeah, great. It's
1: been a year. I can't believe that.
0: Yeah, uh, but let's get to our view of Logan. It's Hugh Jackman's final movie as Wolverine. Josh, who? What'd you think?
1: Okay, well, broad strokes to begin. Before we nail down yeah. into the uh, nitty gritty, there are my favorite superhero movies, and then there are the realist. And for forever, the Dark Knight has just been sitting there at the top since 2008. Iron Man yeah, kind of poked up against it, but it's been there without a serious challenger. But Logan, after seeing that last night, definitely blurs the line between the Dark Knight being the best or is it Logan? And I am mm-hmm. I can't sit here today and answer that question. Um, this was probably one of the tightest scripted X-Men movies ever. Everything that's said is in relationship to the characters. It serves who they are, who they have been, and who they kind of want to be or where they want to be. And I, I absolutely love that. Seeing Professor X and Logan on screen um, talk about their relationship and where it's been in the last five, six movies, five Mm. movies. Yeah. And how some things that have been there but have been completely completely overlooked in the course of superficial superhero movies, if you will, I hope that doesn't sound too punny, Um, was kind of looked at and talked to, and we'll get to it, but I was absolutely blown away by that. But what I was shocked about was the utilization of the rated R because I could not believe that there were decapitations that were bel- just right there in front of you. Um, Wolverine was vicious. It was what I'd been waiting for from that guy. It's, it was what I thought this person was through every movie. But finally, Logan showed it to me without any filters And I loved it for that. Um, The the rest of the cast outside of Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman were great. Um, Boyd Holbrook was in there. Did awesome. Had a Southern accent, which I didn't see coming. Does he have a natural Southern accent? I have no idea. No idea. But seeing a villain with a Southern accent, Joe was just like, oh man, this reminds me of like Frank Underwood from House of Cards. <laughs> so it, it works perfectly. Um, Richard E. Grant was kind of a waste. Didn't think he bothered to show up, but whatever. Stephen Merchant, I liked him a lot. Uh, his character kind of has a nice sad side story, but no doubt Daphne King. I, I don't know how a kid can be that good of an actress or at least portray being emotionless so well mm-hmm. like, I imagine it's harder than you think Yeah, and she does it better than I ever thought possible for a, a, a young actress um, but Logan succeeds because it's so grounded um, the, the plot isn't that over the top it follows along with mutants and experimentation and the Weapon X program that we usually see pop up in Wolverine stories uh, and while that was a little bit tiring everything else around that movie everything around else around that plot um made me not care because it was in service of looking at a character as much as it was just finding somebody for wolverine to try to you know slash or kill and i thought that was i thought that was totally terrific um I do have some caveats about where the action comes in and how it interrupts a few things at a few places that I thought uh, didn't serve the movie really well. So I do have to you know, dig that against it. But all in all, this was a superb X-Men movie, probably the best that they've ever done. And I would give it four out of five ticket stubs.
0: All right. Uh, yeah, I think it's a near-perfect send-off. For Hugh Jackman. Um, I mean, after 17 years of the character, um, he gets his most character-focused piece yet. It's definitely a slow burn unlike any other superhero movie I've ever seen. Uh, It blurs the line more towards a drama as opposed to an action film that is typical with these movies. And like you said, it's more on the line of Dark Knight where it comes in as... You can you can almost picture this happening in like a real world setting, uh, if you take away all the powers and everything. Yeah. Um Jackman, I think, gives his best performance as the character to date. Patrick Stewart as a crazy Professor X um was amazing. Daphne Keen, like you said, she was she was so subtly great because all of for most of her performance is all through, you know facial cues and just her body language and everything in the eyes. Yeah. As opposed to actually like saying things, um, which she does ultimately open up eventually. But for most of it, it's just her giving daggers at, you know, Logan, you're like this girl not to be messed with. Uh, And she shows that again and again in the action scenes, uh, which they're just, they're so good. I mean, they're the best action scenes. I think Logan and Wolverine's ever been a part of um, whether that's him, being alone and having some of those violent moments where he is just chopping dude's arms off putting his claws right through their skulls like it is ultra violent and like they don't they don't hold back at all
1: that hallway scene where it's slow motion oh yeah claws and people's faces was I didn't think they were gonna go there
0: yeah it was, it was brutal um, I really liked the, I really liked Boyd Holbrook uh, as Donald Pierce who's Basically, the main villain um, kind of not that is one of the gripes I have with the movie is I think it struggles um, because it has a couple of villains in the movie not just uh, Boyd Holbrook I think if you would have centralized the plot to just have Holbrook chasing down X-23 and Logan and uh, Professor X it becomes a much better movie and probably makes it you know Super close to being a perfect movie. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, I I'll mean, I'll maybe I'll save my other point for spoilers, but I do think it's the best X Men film to date, um, and yeah, I think it's it's just it's just amazing. Uh, and I'm gonna give it four and a half ticket stubs out of five.
1: Ooh, all right, awesome. Um, so, can I kind of dig into a little bit here, especially With spoilers? With maybe with some spoilers, I'll maybe we'll we'll we'll, we'll
0: just move into spoilers, so so we don't have to hold back anything. So from this point on, if you haven't seen Logan, pause, go see it, come back, but we'll do in spoilers from here on out for Logan.
1: Sure. All right. So can I? I want to start with Professor X Mm -hmm. and Logan's relationship, and after the fight at the factory, which I think will go down as probably the the most well executed X Men fight scene to date would you agree
0: uh, with, the initial with, with the car chase and everything yeah
1: the initial encounter with that's yeah, pretty good X-23 and Logan yeah um, after that after they get away from the casino they kind of have a slowdown moment mm-hmm. where it's Patrick Stewart sort of reflecting on um, his illness because it seems like he's getting dementia or yeah. Alzheimer's and as Boyd Holbrook's character you know so eloquently says when you have the most powerful mind in the world with a degenerative disease you know that's that's a serious threat and so Patrick Stewart's kind of thinking about an incident that happened and how he had harmed people unintentionally he wasn't in control of his powers and he's laying there thinking about that for the first time because Logan had kept that a secret from him and he he senses Logan in the room um, and then starts to talk about how he regrets over the years knowing about what Logan's done but not knowing how he felt about it because Patrick's or you know Professor X has always been in control and when he's finally lost control and know he's hurt people that struck him and he starts to apologize to him and I'm like wow I never thought of that dynamic before Mm. I never thought oh, Professor X reads mine, so he knows how Logan feels. I kind of thought the two went hand in hand, but the personal experiences, they don't. Yeah. And now that they finally have those, there was that common understanding there. But um, I don't know if I can say it was kind of, that moment was killed for me. Uh, no pun. I mean, <laughs> well, can I say this? Yeah, we I mean, yeah, I mean, were it, spoilers. So. It's interrupted because Logan has a clone, X-24, who stabs Professor X and that's that's his final moment. And that ruined it for me because there was no final connection or no Logan saying I hear you old man. And I I as much as I understood why they went that way, I hated it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was I thought that was an injustice.
0: Yeah, I that that's one of the big gripes I have with it. Um was the inclusion of X24 because I mean, why? Yeah. Like why like the, you couldn't have come up with any other idea to do as the the big final bat. I mean, I get it. It's kind of cool from you know, a certain level that Wolverine's final enemy is w- himself. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's a couple interesting ways you can play with that. Um and that he's ultimately the one that d- defeats himself in a sense. So but i just i was like why wait why why is there a clone of wolverine um what is happening i, I mean again like it took me like a second to realize it was like wait who who is standing to, like that's obviously not wolverine like yeah. it's not logan so i'm like oh so they have a clone of him like wait how did who did this um and then like and like instantly he just he just kills professor X, and you're like uh, wait, wait! I'm still trying to figure out what'll happen with this guy. Yeah, and it 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 ruined that moment kind of for me, and that's one of the other problems I had with it was I didn't think it was as emotionally rewarding as it could have been as a longtime viewer of these movies and this franchise. I don't think the send-off for Professor X was as but it was done as well as it could have been. Um, and then going to the very end of the movie, uh, I don't think the death of Logan hit me as hard as I thought it would have. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were some nice moments they tried to do, um, with, you know, Daphne Keane being there and then like crying about it and stuff, but her calling him dad at the end of that. Yeah.
1: I, I could not take, it. I mean like I didn't, I did, I got tears kind of well up at that moment. Uh-huh. Didn't cry, but I couldn't believe it. Cause I was like, Oh, that is brutal.
0: Right. Like, but I think the thing that, because I think it would have been more impactful if that moment happened before. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't get a chance to say it in his dying breath and stuff. And like, they had already had that connection before that fight happened. And then as he is fighting his clone, they both realize this is going to be it. I'm going to die. Saving you, and that makes it more impactful when ultimately he does die, and he dies instantly, and not stabbed through the chest. I'm gonna bleed out, and I'm not gonna heal in time, um, because that way, that way, just it just hits you, and it's it's there, and it's it's gone. Instead of like it's almost like the Han Solo death in Episode Seven, where the minute he walks out onto that platform, you're like he's a goner. Yeah. Whereas this one, you know. I felt once he started fighting him that there's there's no way he makes out of this alive. He had, they have the adamantium bullet. He's either going to use that to kill uh, his clone, or he's going to ultimately kill himself to see if that will ultimately stop the clone from attacking them or something. Um, so I, I thought I thought it could have been more rewarding, a little bit emotionally. But yeah. it again, it was still it was still emotional, but not as. Much as I thought it was going to That's
1: be. That's funny because I kind of took the I took the exact opposite approach, and I wrote here in my notes that I loved the quick death. I love like you know once Professor X got stabbed, I loved that he was gone before Logan could even get him in the truck, mm-hmm. or as soon as he did. I I didn't want to see it protracted right. through you know two more nights of him trying to keep the keep the dude alive when it was clear there's no way a ninety year old man would you know make it that far, uh, so. I do do agree with you a, a little bit with Logan's demise, getting you know the tree just jammed onto him, and he, he fits in a few final words that are okay. They're not nothing super profound, uh, right up until his final words are, "Oh, this is what it feels like," mm-hmm. and then he goes. I, I like that. I like that he kind of imparted some final words to X twenty three before you know like after he'd had all this time to basically face unmitigated rage which had you know defined most of his youth mm-hmm. so i thought that was a really interesting as much as i hated x24 i liked when i thought about it the the implications of that battle because richard e grant's uh, character kind of brings up he's like well we we tried you know controlling people then we realized the best way to do this was you know have no control Mm-hmm. And then you know, sort of capture him by luck, if you will. yeah, so uh, I, I liked I liked the thematic element of that. Um, but more than that, I loved the this movie was billed as a western, right? Mm-hmm. And when they say western, they they really mean it because they basically cribbed a lot of this from uh Shane an old western movie that my when i brought it up to my dad when i was typing my notes he's like oh yeah that was a really big deal i'm like of course it
0: was they even show part of the movie yeah
1: they even show part of the movie so they get meta with it mm-hmm. but um the final line there is uh there's no living with kill with a killing uh there's no one going back from it right or wrong it's a brand a brand that sticks mm-hmm. and um laura x23 recites that at wolverine's funeral and then she kind of finishes it with. There aren't any more guns in the Valley and Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart seem to be the final two original Mm X-Men in the movies. And I thought, Oh, that's kind of cool. And era is over. And I liked that. I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah. I did like, um, one of the moments where I think it's the moment when professor X is having that kind of reflection on everything he's done. And he talks about all the control that he's lost over his powers over the last couple of years. And how they've just been running and running and running from their problems and then he like briefly mentions and I think there's a mention of it as well on like on one of the radio stations that this that the event in Las Vegas was very similar to an event that happened a couple years ago that killed or that left 700 people injured and it killed seven X-Men um, and you're just, like you're thinking about okay well so that probably explains how the main X-Men group is gone like you imagine like then that ultimately it was professor x that killed like cyclops gene gray uh beast you anybody else that was like part of that group i mean this it's all hypothetical at that point but um it's just like that i wish almost we could have seen a flashback of that scene or something where you're just like and that that just shows you just furthermore how much they regret as you know being Mm -hmm. x-men where you're we're the ones that caused sort of this war and I'm responsible for killing all these people that I called friends and stuff. Um, but I, I did think the, the, emo, the moment that was most emotional for me was when uh, Logan was ultimately burying Professor X and he was kind of reciting, he was like talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was, that was Hugh Jackman's best moment as an actor where he was just giving that monologue and then X twenty three comes over and does what she saw the mannequin doing, which I thought was a really subtle thing. She, like, she grabs the wrist of him, his hand shaking, and then he he rips it away. And then he starts raging out on his truck, and then just like lays in the middle of the road. And I'm like, that was that was that was really nice. Yeah. Um, and it kind of should like I thought that was a great send off for Professor X. And then I think Laura's speech at the end was close, but. Because their relationship wasn't as connected, there wasn't as much. Especially because then, like he, she's surrounded by kids who knew that guy for like a couple of days. Right. So it's like those kids don't really care. They are just like, oh yeah, Wolverine. Like I have a Wolverine figure. And, like, yeah, he's I thought dead that now. was kind of
1: funny. Um, I do like that Wolverine and the X Men are a comic book. Yeah. In that, um, and the moment where Logan's digging through the comics with his his uh, his old man bifocals, mm-hmm. who he looks makes look totally awesome i don't know why yeah. but uh you know then he realizes oh they they think that this place is real when it's not and then it turns out that they are calling it that because of it's it's not yeah the, the kid he thinks of the little kids as not being smart or being um so aware enough that they know this place isn't real but in turn he was the one who was underestimating them and that and that they created that place based mm-hmm. off of the idea. So yeah. I thought that was a funny way mm-hmm. to like turn it around um, on Hugh Jackman. Yeah. I want to say this is kind of off the rails a bit, but I was very glad that he didn't have the traditional Wolverine lamb chops and beard through most of the movie. Yeah. He got it at the very end a yeah, little bit because <laughs> the kids try to make him look like the, mm-hmm. he does in the comics. I, I, I've never liked that. I've, <laughs> Always hated it. Uh so I was glad when you know he had a full beard and the hair, you yeah. know, that wasn't spiked up like wolf ears. Yeah. So I appreciated that.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the only the other thing I want to mention, uh, you talked about Richard E. Grant briefly. Um, I think you could have done without him almost because I liked the first half of the movie is pretty much just Boyd Holbrook as the villain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I like this guy as a villain. He's like, he's like, I'm a fan of yours, Logan. Like I'm a fan of Wolverine, like, like, I love what you did, I'm like, I love that you're a superhero and stuff, and like, there's that back and forth between them, I liked their, you know, their chemistry together on screen, and then once Richard A. Grant comes in the picture and the next 24 comes in the picture, he is put on the back burner, his death is like meaningless, because like, the kids do it, which I guess like, there's like, like, that could have been more meaningful, because his creations are what killed him. Yeah, and but also it just like it happened like so quickly. We were like it, and like at, at the same time as X twenty four is trying to kill Logan, we were like, I don't care about yeah. him dying. I'll I wanna there. see I wanna see this. So I think you could have cut out Richard E. Grant's character, Xander Rice and uh X twenty four somehow and had a mm-hmm. better movie and i probably would have given it five stars if they would have worked out a different way to tell the film story yeah
1: if it was pierce brosnan versus uh hugh jackman do the most of the pierce brosnan yeah i was like what what? did they just do there uh if it was (laughs) if it was pierce versus logan yes through the whole movie (laughs) thinking of x or thinking of of cable yeah yeah um it would have been even cooler because it would have grounded the movie Mm -hmm. uh in a better way than seeing Logan face off against himself. Yeah. Um. But then again, you need that because who else is going to stand up against mm-hmm. uh, X 23. Once we see what she can do yeah. and when Logan's in full rage mode. So that was fine. Uh, I, I didn't. Mm, mm, what'd you think of Stephen Merchant?
0: I thought it was fine. Yeah. Um, he, he was, he was, he was really whiny. um, Like really ungrateful almost. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm like, You're, you guys are just going to abandon me on your sun seeker and I'm going to, i to die. Mm-hmm. And, but I thought his death was really nice. Cause he's like, ultimately he's like, I'm not going to help you guys anymore. Yeah. Double grenades war I'm dead. Killed a couple of your guys. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought he was, I thought he did a good job with his role. Uh, I just wasn't blown away um, with, his character, I guess. Yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of Pierce Boyd Holbrook's character, I you said he's a fan of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I love the mythology woven in there because when he's talking to Stephen Merchant's uh, character, he's like, I used to read about you and kind of think you were really cool. Yeah. And then merchants, you know, kind of there in a, in a lesser, lesser form than he used to be. And he's like, eh, he's just like me or he's just like other people mm-hmm. kind of, kind of wimpy and all that stuff. And like, I love that these people have been, um, kind of not eulogized, but they've been mythicized mm-hmm. and then had those comics published about them, you know? And I, I through all the movie. I thought that was super cool. Um According to uh, Pierce's death. I thought that was okay because when we see what he's like with those kids in the lab in Mexico city and how he's treat, they they're treated not like children, but like property and he's there interrupting birthdays and smacking the kids. And it's like, okay, it's nice to see them all kind of contribute in some kind of way to
0: his yeah. demise. Um, I, this is, like, I think, pretty much my last thought on the movie, but I did think it was really interesting how politically relevant it was at the very beginning of the movie. Holy smokes. But I was like, I, like uh, this movie was shot, you know, last year. So, like, well, before everything that's happened with our political environment, um, but I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> we were talking people talking about, like, chanting USA, a border. They have like immigrants yeah. standing like outside the border. Like they can't get in. I'm like, this is nuts. And I mean, that's always what x Ben's always been about, about discrimination and everything. And uh, I was like, that would, I don't know if they, you know, worked that in last second and they reshot something to do that opening yeah. different. I mean, or if that was something from the get go, because the rest of the movie doesn't really touch on that kind of stuff. No, but I was like, that was like one of like the first things that hit me after like the old, the opening fight. And I was like, this is just this is kind of blowing me away
1: (laughs) yeah and that's what I was going to close with too was that the look at this future isn't as crazy as (sighs) it is in days of future past and like you know it speaks to the grounding of it Mm -hmm. that a dystopian future doesn't have to be Hunger Games it doesn't have to be um, what's those
0: Maze Runner Maze Runner uh, it doesn't have to be like divergent. Divergent yeah
1: It could just be, you know, a darker period where, you know, there's abandoning of uh, morals, principles, higher ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the people in the back of Logan's taxi service uh, or limo service that he's running early on in the movie is kind of like talking about how, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, I did really good at the wall. I I nailed Mm -hmm. like 10 or 20 of them. And I'm thinking along the lines of, are they kind of mentioning like human sport hunting? yeah and they' don't, they don't talk they and like most of the movie does it doesn't follow up on the things it mentions, mm-hmm. but you hear that and you're like, Oh my this you know w- this world is much darker than our own and uh i I appreciate that and especially near the end when it kind of aspires to hope and mm-hmm. the 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 oddly too heavy handed metaphor of going to, to Canada, Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that was, it's, it's hard to believe that there may have, there may have been maybe some script writing because, yeah you know, the political environment of today kicked off in summer 2015,
0: which, uh, yeah, but I mean like, like a blur, but like our new president, like hasn't been like, known that that's who's going to it's true go into like in effect since till like November. I don't remember when exactly like it's announced that. Yeah, like, he won, but like it's it, not could a, be, it could be riffing off of the ideas right. presented. Yeah, I mean, there's not. I mean, yeah, yeah. I crazy. would. Lo- I would love to ask James Mangold if that was intentional or not, mm-hmm. and he probably wouldn't be able to answer me. I have yeah. one final question, though. Okay.
1: Would you like to ask James Mangold
0: if there's a next twenty three movie? I would coming? love to ask him that, and I think other people have asked him that already. Uh, he said he would be interested, and he said I think that he, the Fox producers would be crazy if they didn't pursue. An X-Y three movie, I completely agree with him. Um, and uh, Simon Kinberg and Hutch Parker, who are two X-Men producers, told Joe Blow this past week that it is something they are considering. Nothing sure. is official, but I, I think you have to go down this road with James Mangold attached to direct. I again.
1: think there needs to be a cooling off period. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe four years. Yeah. I mean you the, get
0: you get Deadpool two and new mutants out next year, you get supernova and x-force out the year after you do gambit and ne- deadpool 3 the year after that and then you know 4 years later we see x23 a little more grown up mm-hmm. rest of the mutants um roaming around in canada or wherever eden is or in some other location and they're off on their own journey and she is trying to implement the morals that she learned in her brief time with professor x and logan to rebuild the x-men to be a saving for saving grace once again and uh, try to turn the world back around.
1: Yeah, I, I agree here. And would you put this movie at parallel with midnight special? Cause I made that, I made that sort of analogy a while ago. I don't think it holds up as no. much as I thought
0: it would. I mean, I think there are, there are some similarities there, but midnight special is more religious yeah. uh, than this movie is. Um, and I don't, and I think that one almost believe it or not is more far-fetched yeah and uh, it's and it's closing than Logan is yeah same so, here
1: so and it was much it felt felt a lot more of a personal the story yes which I think we think we've had uh, spoken to before so. yeah
0: um, it was it was weird to me speaking of the possibilities of an X-23 movie and stuff I was like you should like <laughs> I know they're doing this new mutants movie and stuff but like you have a you have literally a group of young mutants already established in this movie <laughs> with like wide-ranging powers. I'm like, why wouldn't you not just do that in like this future and have an X twenty-three? She could be your own thing, she could be a part of New Mutants or lead the new mutants, or that they could be they could split off into their own thing. And you continue that section of the timeline. You can have Deadpool and that R rated section, their own section, and then you can have the main saga films slowly. Getting closer and closer and closer to the rest of the movies. But who knows what they'll do.
1: Yeah, I have the same here. Um, but I'm definitely going to be seeing this movie again just because the action is so worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think we talked about emotions through most of this review here, but do not be fooled, people. Um, James Mangold takes that R rating and use, utilizes the heck out of it. Oh, yeah. And. Um, I love him for it because yeah. seeing uh Daphne King roll a head out to Boyd Holbrook. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's totally worth that it. was awesome. And watching Hugh Jackman react to that, like and seeing, Oh my goodness, she just decapitated mm-hmm. that guy. <laughs> the that register on his face is it's priceless.
0: Yeah. Um last thing, just to wrap it up, I did like there were there's a couple of callbacks to previous X Men movies. I know continuity pretty much means nothing with these movies anyways, but we see his katana in his house that's from the Wolverine. Oh, that's right. Um I mean he obviously has the dog tags that he wears in you know X-Men or in X-Men Origins. Um which is so if they were kind of meshing everything together, that's why I would have thought Lee Schreiber's appearance would have been nice. But
1: And they do mention the Statue of Liberty.
0: Yes. Yeah. Like so that... he's like, oh it's been a long time since that happened. I was like mm-hmm. so I like that they kind of they did some subtle hints and everything. They didn't do anything over the top. Uh, I mean, the katana shot is like a second or two long, and it's just a it's just a setup shot. So, yep. uh, again, really nice work by James Mangold there. Can't wait to see if he does more. Hopefully, he will. And I think Fox would be nuts if they don't bring him back for another movie. Hopefully, they leave Wolverine alone. Do you would you want to see them recast the no, role?
1: Absolutely, never. Not. not not in my lifetime. Yeah, same. Uh, I mean, that's. 60 years though, yeah. So, I don't have one. <laughs> right. I'm yeah. a little bit more cynical about uh movie producers and studios, so
0: yeah, I, I will happen. I, yeah, I, I don't want it to happen. Uh, if they do, I don't want them to like if you bring in a Wolverine for some alternate world or universe, or something I could maybe eventually accept that, but I don't want them to just be like, here's new Wolverine. Because yeah. you have a new Wolverine in X-23, so just use her. Agreed. Um, so that's it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of Kong Skull Island. Josh, why are you, and why should everybody else be excited for this movie? Godzilla is
1: the second franchise I was ever introduced to as a kid. I watched all the awful Japanese, English dubbed movies. Okay, And King Kong is the second picture in the setup to the path to godzilla versus king kong and i am so ready for that i mean you pile on the cast like samuel jackson facing down king kong and dinosaurs sold immediately mm-hmm. what about you what's taking you uh, to this
0: movie? the cast for sure i've loved the trailers the the color palette just having the oranges and yellows shine through I really like the look of the film. I'm interested to see what Jordan Vogt-Roberts will do as the director because I'm not familiar with him. And uh, it looks like this will be a big hit for him and he'll probably launch his career to do even bigger and better things. Uh, Maybe Godzilla vs. Kong or something. Ooh, yes. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to be super action-heavy. It has a great cast. Um, And I think it should be another great addition to an early 2017 that is shaping up to be incredible. Um, so that's why, that's why I'm excited. Hopefully you guys will see it as well. So you can come back next week and listen to our review of it. But even if you don't, thank you for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. During our time away, be sure, to, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we cover by us at Friends and Film. Where you will receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops,
1: and you can follow me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan.
0: And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. And especially head over to iTunes and give us a five star review because that help us out tremendously. And it'd be great. Just be sure to leave comments as well. Tell us what we're doing great. Tell us what we can improve on. Uh, new segments you want to see us add, and any other suggestions you may have. Uh, but that's it. Josh, thanks for stopping by, everyone, and thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for our view of Kong Skull Island.